Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. There are a lot of nice people in our areas who attend religious services every now and then. But they're not consecrated to God, so they make poor, dangerous friends as God's people. Beloved, that's why the Bible is always warning, bad company corrupts good morals, so be careful. When it comes to our consecration, being set apart for the use of the Lord's, well, there are certain things we need to know and be aware of. And as we'll find out today, who we hang around with, one of those things. God's mercy, the best motive for consecration. And we are in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, online at reformedheritage.org. We invite you to spend time with us today as we continue our journey through Romans. Here's Pastor Gary and today's Abounding Grace. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren. God comes to us as a father who loves us and wants us to be joyful in obedience. We see this in Psalm 119.1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy is the man who feareth God always. And God, in his mercy, is the one who gives us the ability to obey him. And if that mercy does not motivate us to love him and walk faithfully with him, then, beloved, nothing will. Paul continues in verse 1 and says, I urge you, or beseech you, or beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Since God has been so merciful to us, forgiving all of our iniquities, past, present, and future, through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, by taking on human flesh and suffering the cruelties of life itself, and then the excruciating pain on the cross, so that we might have our sins forgiven, we should be the most thankful and happy people on earth. He has cleansed us and he has strengthened us. We were wayward and he brought us home. We must think on these mercies of God and shout out in joy with praise overflowing. God has looked at me and my filth and my sins And 2,000 years ago, he pierced his own son on the cross for me and for all of us who have called to be, who were called to be his own. He crucified the suffering servant of the Lord for us. Oh, mercy. Look at what God has done for me. 
I want to devote myself to him. So unless we believe that truth about our condition, we are not going to be humbled by God's mercy. And we are never going to give ourselves to him. It's easy to forget our depravity. Oh, it is so easy. I've forgotten mine a thousand times. And therefore, mercy has lost its hold on my heart many times. We forget that without God mercy, God's mercy, we are wicked. Now, not necessarily bank robbers or serial murderers or adulterers, the things that most men seem to focus on. We think, well, I'm free from those, so I'm good to go. Really? What about pride? Well, pride is a good thing the government schools tell us, says false preachers, says the government, says psychologists who are all on their way to hell. But God hates pride. It is one of the seven things God says, I hate proud looking eyes, haughtiness, arrogance. I hate it. I hate Austin, the ostentation of worms pretending that they are not. Sinners pretending they are better than they are. I hate it. What about the selfishness that turns us so inward and makes us wonder, oh, what did that person mean when he said that to me? That's got to be some kind of secret little jab they're giving me. Why did they treat me this way? Oh, we're just so engrown in our feeling, own feelings, affections, and emotions, and what other people think about us. It's like acid has gotten into our soul of selfishness and self, thinking of life purely in the terms of what I want. Well, I'm a believer, and I'm free from all that. Hallelujah. I mean, God does free us from these things, but if he has freed you, you should be more thankful for his mercy than the new believer. You should be more obedient. You should be more humbled by God's grace. Have you made any progress? Have you forsaken sins that you used to freely indulge in? God did that. Do you love him? Are you growing in love for him? God did it. Has he forgiven you? He did it. He did it. So the more we grow in grace, the more we should be humbled by God's mercy to us and love him more deeply for his mercy and praise him for his mercy. And as the apostle says in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mer- these mercies that you present yourselves to God. Let's look at that phrase, presenting ourselves to God, a living sacrifice. If you ever get a piece of tough meat, you'll probably get out some tenderizer. Or maybe you'll get out a meat mallet somewhere in your culinary tool drawer. Well, you know... That is the way God's mercy is to be to our heart, a tenderizer. It is supposed to be like a hammer to crush our pride and to soften us so that we would hold it as our highest privilege to be able to serve him. 
He speaks obviously here in terms of Old Testament language, the sacrifice. Undoubtedly, he drew it from that with this important difference. The sacrifices of the Old Testament were always offered dead. They slit the animal's throat, and then they put it on the altar. Not like these sacrifices, you see. We're not dead anymore. By the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are raised. Look back at Romans chapter 6. We've already come across this powerful idea once before and spent some time looking at it. But Romans chapter 6 verse 13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. We're already alive. We are alive in God. We are alive to righteousness. So what are we supposed to do with this new life given to us? Notice Paul says, present, present yourselves to God. This is an active, sometimes a military term. The meanings include to draw near to, to stand close to, to stand beside, to stand in readiness to help. And joining that verb to sacrifice, the idea is very simple. We are to be devoted to God, devoted consecrated, if you will, consecrated. We have been bought, brought near to him through the sacrifice of his son. So, and so we are to come near to him. We are to present ourselves to him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I please you? How can I honor you today? Please understand, sacrifice doesn't mean, okay, preacher, I hear you. I mean mercy and God saving me. Oh, I have done some bad things, and I have forgotten about them already, and that God forgave me. So I'm going to remember today, though, and I'll sacrifice. I'll give up my Sunday afternoon baseball game. I'll sacrifice. No, 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 that is not what the apostle means here. He doesn't mean that we make some great and noble offering when we devote ourselves to God. Because we remember we offer back to him only what his grace has made of us. So we don't take any credit. We don't, oh, I'm really doing pretty well. I've given up drinking and dancing and chewing and going with girls that do. I mean, I've really, really, really made. No, no. In line of God's mercy to us and our Savior's sufferings, again, we have never made a sacrifice. And even if we suffer the worst deprivations and persecutions for the sake of Christ, it would only be our privilege to suffer. So what does Paul mean by sacrifice? Sacrifice means that we are yielded to God. He has made us alive. And now we are to offer ourselves to him. Lord, I'm yours. Take my life. 
I take my hands off. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you will. Paul draws on this idea several times. We see it in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, and then 7, 23. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. And ye are not your own. Meditate on that a thousand times this week, beloved. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And he repeats that over in chapter 7, 23. You are bought with a price. Be ye not, therefore, the slaves of men. Let me make this very simple, but still profound. Since God has redeemed us by the precious blood of his Son, the heart attitude of every believer is hands off toward his own life. Hands off. It's not mine, and you are not your own. Hands off. In other words, questions we should never ask. Make a list of these. Questions you should never ask are, what do I want to do today? You should never ask, what or how do I want to spend my time Or what will make me happy? Or what will satisfy my desire for this or for that? Like my desire for attention. What will make me popular? What will people, what will get people to like me? Never ask those questions. These are the questions that plunge the whole world into ruin. Because Adam and Eve were already asking them in their minds. What do we want? What seems to be best to us in this particular situation? The moment we start to say, me, I, mind, what do I feel? Oh, bad things. Our only question should be this. Only one question. What will please my God and Savior today? That is the only question. That is what present means. What will please my God and Savior today? What will please Him in my work? What about my attitude? What about how I spend the time that belongs to Him that He has given to me? What about how I relate to my spouse? What about how I relate to my parents? The only question in light of God's mercy is, what would you have me do, O God? What will please you, my God and my Savior? And of course, this leads us to, as we will see in verse 2 in a couple of weeks, to his word. That is the only place we learn what pleases God. You see, mercy makes us want to be consecrated to God. I've been redeemed at a great price after all. Now, what follows in the last few minutes today is simply going to be some applications of this. Notice first, 
Since Paul uses the language of persuasion, I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you, I come alongside you and invite you to do this or that. He does not assume we are going to be able to overcome easily the flesh, the world, or the devil, and to devote ourselves to God. The flesh always fights back. I'm sure if you've been a Christian for many years that you've heard a few sermons on consecration. I'm sure you have said, okay, I've decided now I'm going to follow Jesus, and this time I mean it. Then over time, all falls apart. Yeah, you're still a Christian, but overcoming is so difficult, it just seems to peter out. Well, why? Why does the gospel love that first filled our hearts sometimes grow weak? Well, let me mention a few things. One, we oftentimes don't feed that love by seeking God and his word. Love has to be fed. Let's say you went on your honeymoon with your new wife and you're all lovey-dovey and it was marital bliss with constantly being together. But then you come home. She goes to her bedroom and you go to your office and you don't speak for six months. Are you going to come out and say, oh, honey, my dear loved one? No. Why? Because you have got to feed that love. And the way we as Christians feed love for God is that we seek him. We continue to seek his mercy. Two, we often quench God's love in a sense of mercy by worldliness. Nothing will quench our sense of wonderment at God's mercy as this world. At least the sinful parts of it. Some people stay up late for frivolous purposes. So it's impossible to see God early. And faith just crumbles throughout the day under the weight of being without its lover. That is what can happen to our faith. Others do it by forming worldly associations. There are a lot of nice people in our areas who attend religious services every now and then. But they're not consecrated to God. So they make poor, dangerous friends as God's people. Beloved, that's why the Bible is always warning. Bad company corrupts good morals. So be careful. Don't fellowship with the world. Then, of course, we can quench love and our sense of wonderment at God's mercy by getting sucked into the entertainment vortex. And some aspects of social networking also quench God's love in our hearts and in our sense of mercy because they train us to promote and please ourselves rather than promote and please God. In our quiet moments, we've got to get back to this. Maybe God created us so that when the sun goes down, we go to bed. It's a funny thing. We try to get around that. We've forgotten that in our pressing moments when there is no 
okay, it's time for a movie. I've got to have a movie. I've got to watch something. How about that series to catch up on? Wait a minute. Ask yourself, who is precious to us? Are God's thoughts precious to us? Shouldn't we be seeking Him? I mean, we're not going to grow in a sense of mercy and the wonderment of it if we're not studying it. That, what has God done for us? If we spend all our time thinking, I've got to be entertained. I've got to have parties. I've got to have friends. I've got to be where my people are. If I'm not where they are, I don't ever... I, I, I know every word that every one of my group has uttered, then my life will just come crumbling down. Well, God is not your God, if your friends are. Of course, it's the same thing that could be true of us when we're older and we have hobbies and sports or just me time, whatever it may be. There's a long list of things that if we yield to them, we will quench the wonderment of God's mercy, which is the engine behind obedience and consecration to Him. So if you want to be motivated by mercy, you need to think on how much the Lord has forgiven you and how pitiable He has treated you. Let's turn to one passage in closing. Luke 7 through 50. Please listen carefully. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Now understand here, this man was thinking this, but Jesus understood what he was thinking. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I have come in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. 
those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this, is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do. Reformedheritage.org. Real simple. Reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by. Reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB Post Mailbox four zero two, and the address is fourteen eighty four Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 